Hi, Stably. Hi, Jerry. How's it going? It's going all right. How are you? Been good. I, uh, you know, my uh, thymus is engorged. Oh my god. I. I hope that's okay. I the camera isn't working, so we won't have a a tubing situation. Okay. Uh, Stably, today we are uh, gathered to discuss your pick. The uh, the end of history and the last man by Francis Fukuyama, uh, published in 1992. Uh, what did you think? I enjoyed it, and I recommend it. Yeah! Wow! All right, thank you, uh, <laughs> and good night. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, in a nutshell, yeah, I found it very. <clears throat> excuse me, a little. Uh, stuffy this morning um i found it uh how do i put this not an easy read but i found it a much more uh, enjoyable and like comprehensible book than i thought it would have because this is you know obviously it's a book that's been around for a while everyone talks about it as if they've read it mm -hmm. and i guess 90 percent of people haven't which is probably on average right for 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 important books and I always got the impression that it was some sort of boring or complicated or super dry, mm -hmm. uh, I don't know, thing that it was like 400 pages long or something. But um, it's not short, but it's it's definitely not boring uh, and not completely dry. There are some dry bits. <laughs> um, yeah. So in, in terms of just reading it, it was a, a pleasurable experience. Um, I found the ideas very interesting. It was nice to finally figure out what, what the man's talking about. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, kind of get, at least in my opinion, a grip on what like the nineties and like to the mid two thousands or even into the 20 teens, like things right. were all about. What about you? Um, I enjoyed it very much as well. Um, are you converted? Are you a Hegelian? I'm well, we'll get Co to that. Are you a Koyevian? A, a Koyevian? Um, so I definitely want to switch my PFTP to uh, Koyeve, uh, and we'll get to that. Um, okay. So, yeah, this is a book that is definitely a classic. Uh, it's a modern classic. I was looking, um, so uh, a friend of the show, uh, Balaji Srinivasan, hmm. uh, has, a, has a new book that he's written, and he's been trying to... Um, uh, growth hack his way to the top of the Amazon uh, rankings. And so I was looking, I was looking at just by, you know, because of that, I was looking at the political philosophy, um, the top books in political philosophy, you know, like the bestseller list, basically, yeah. like the current bestseller list. And uh, the end of history, three editions of it are on the top 10. Of course. Right. And you can always trust the Amazon rankings. Well, uh, no, that just, that just tells you that it's selling. That sure. Just that's that's true. All, Right. So, mm -hmm. um, so it's a modern classic and, and now I, uh, it, it totally deserves that. Right. Like uh -huh. it is, it's great. Um, it's, it's a, it's a great book. Right. Yeah. Um, and it, I imagine that it must be assigned in colleges that that must be what's driving a lot, a lot of the sales because, um, it's a perfect book to teach from, you know what I'm saying? I think so. Yeah. I, I, I think I see exactly what you're saying. Yeah. 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 Whether, you know, which, you know, you can uh, critique it in many different ways, et cetera. So anyhow, um, yeah, 
and 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 yes, you're absolutely right that people have no idea what the book is about, right? Like it's a it's it's it, not a week goes by. I mean, that I <laughs> not, don't a, hear, not a day, not a day. Yeah, it's true that you don't hear somebody say. Uh, well, the, you know, it hasn't, you know, this proves it's not the end of history. Yes. Yes. And, the end of the end of history. I've seen that since, um, I guess, 9-11. Right. And uh, yes, it cannot be further. And, and also, I, it's not, not a month goes by, let's say, uh, uh, that I don't see somebody say, people who say that have no idea and never read the book. <laughs> sure. And they're right, probably. And they're right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so how should we should we, should we uh, recapitulate uh, or should we tell people to go read the damn book? Um, I mean, I definitely go read the damn book. Um, I, yeah. I, I, I don't think I've read the essay on which it is based. I don't know no. if you have, but um, not having read the essay and, you know, to be honest, uh, there are parts of the book that are very heavy on like philosophy and political theory and history. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty ignorant of all those things. So I don't know. I would say like, it's probably worth getting the book and reading it as opposed to oh, just the essay. So completely. Maybe, yeah. I don't it, know if that was saved for the end of our, of our cast, but it's one of those where like, yeah, this is, this is well worth the uh, hundreds of pages. Yeah. And, and he, I think makes a point of saying that the, basically the essay has little to do with the book. I think he took the fame that he got from the essay and titled a book he wanted to write anyway. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I kind of think that's what he did. Um, so, uh, how do I put the man, it? Like, the man has intellectual uh, uh, megalotimos or whatever. <laughs> yeah. So he he um, yeah. I mean, that's, I think the point of the essay was to say maybe this is the end of history, but it doesn't explicate everything the way that he doesn't know. So so it's I not complicated. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not like you can get away, away reading just the essay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So maybe it's a good starting off point because the essay I think was written in like 1989. And the book is written in 92. So the communist system is just falling apart when he writes the essay. I mean, the wall maybe has fallen, Yeah. Um, but the, the Soviet Union is still around. Um, a lot of these countries are still technically communist. Mm -hmm. um, and like Germany hasn't been reunified and <clears throat> a lot of those things have not happened. Um, so between the, the essay and the book, um, a, lot of, uh, a lot of stuff happened, which probably... Um, you know, played into the, the theme of the book. And uh, what is the theme, Jerry? <laughs> What's the theme of the book? Um, yeah. So it's kind of like an introduction to uh, Marxist, well, I should say Hegelian slash Marxist historicism. Uh, it explains it, right? He explains why Hegel was right and Marx was wrong. Mm -hmm. And um, it just basically tells the, uh, put, basically puts historicism in contrast to, or Hegelian historicism puts it in contrast to uh, Hobbes and Locke and the, the Anglo liberal tradition, and then just brings it up to the present and then projects into the future about whether we are at the end of history. And just, you know, just for those who don't know this, um, it's capital H history, which you often hear say. Yeah, it's big time is, history. Yeah, I mean, the idea is um, history has uh, a direction. Um, it has an evolution. Um, and at some point, um, you reach an end of history where you reach a state of affairs, uh, namely a political state of affairs, that cannot be improved upon because there are no internal contradictions to it. So there's nothing that's going to uh, supersede it. You might go back 
you might, um, you know, you might for different reasons regress. Uh, um, but if you were to go forward again, you're not going to get past a certain, you know, point. And that point is, he would say, liberal democracy. Yeah. Um, so that's it. Yeah. Uh, and there's a lot uh, to, to it. Um, but that's basically the point. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, the book uh, begins <clears throat> kind of like why, you know, why he's writing this book, like why is it important to, so in his, from his point of view, this is like a, I think it's an optimistic take, despite, you know, he, he addresses all the different criticisms. Yeah. And I think he might have some misgivings of his own about like what the end result might look like for, for people, but uh, still it's like a optimistic take on, on where things have ended up. So, you know, the beginning is just kind of a rundown of why people in the West, you know, like intellectuals in the mid 20th century were wrong to be pessimistic. Um, you know, people uh, like now, uh, people used mm -hmm. to think that like liberal democracy was, I mean, doomed, uh, you know, it ranged from has problems to is doomed to lose right. <laughs> to uh, largely communism, I guess, fascism kind of ran out of steam for various reasons. So it was, yeah, it was largely, uh, you know, to do with, you know, communism taking over and burying the West. And, um, you know, he explains why people felt that way. And then he runs through all the different, I guess, what is it called? The, like the third wave of democratization where all these countries from, I mean, from Latin America to Asia to even Africa and especially Eastern Europe in the seventies and eighties, like threw off their various yokes you know, left-wing authoritarians, right-wing authoritarians, everyone, not everyone, but many, many countries embraced either like capitalism or democracy or liberalism or all three. So this is like his his jumping off point for, for optimism, um, which was interesting. Um, you know, like, what do I know about 1979 Peru? But I guess he does a lot. <laughs> so um, there are a lot of that. He doesn't really do like case studies necessarily, but he, he does make, yeah. an, he makes, uh, you know, he makes a case that look at all these great things that are happening, um, which, you know, um, probably matter to people in the early nineties more than they do now, but still uh, it was useful. And then he, uh, he kind of talks, he starts talking about what he calls like capital U H universal history. And really starts bringing Hegel and uh, what's his name? I want to say Kofefe, but it's Kofefe, Koyeve, Koyeve. Yes, uh, this like French Russian Stalinist nihilist <laughs> French bureaucrat philosopher um, who, in the 1930s, kind of brought Hegel to a bigger audience and taught a lot of famous like French uh, philosophers. Yeah, he's so, like an an interpreter of Hegel yeah. that uh, Fukuyama says that when, you know, he says at the very beginning of the book that when he, when he Fukuyama uh, talks about Hegel, he really means um, a uh, combined Hegel Koyeve. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, that he's that important. Yeah. And um, so, you know, the, the first, I guess, quarter of the book is, um, it's not just about Hegel, but it's just the idea of capital H history and what that means and how it's different from just like history of, of stuff. So it's not just one thing after another. History is this idea in the West and maybe other places, um, but largely in the West that um, it's not just cyclical. There is a, uh, 
It's not cyclical and it's not open-ended. Yeah, it's not open-ended. I, I don't know the word if it's telos or what, but there's a there's an endpoint to which history is is aiming. Right. Um, and this, he does seem to imply that this is largely a Western idea that like Indian philosophy and history like they they goes in cycles. I think right. maybe Chinese philosophy and history that goes in cycles. Uh, but whereas in the West, in like you know the Renaissance, early modern period, and uh, into the Enlightenment. Uh, these various mucky mucks started thinking of um, capital H history as having a point. And, you know, he gets into Hegel and his ideas um, tries to save his reputation. Yeah, go ahead. (laughs) Well, so I was going to ask you, do you buy that? Um, Like that there's a, there's a point to it. Yeah. So it's very reminiscent of um, our good friend, Bob Wright, right. Friend of the show, like his argument for what is it? It's not the existence of God. What is it? The, What's the name of the book that we did? <laughs> oh, um, I forgot. Uh, it wasn't on zero. Uh, no, it was like the where he also makes that point. Um, yeah, but, but it, it's, it's, it's his general hobby horse that, they, that we're we're slowly advancing to a, to a, a, a larger and larger um, uh, capacity to have non-zero exchanges, mm-hmm. and eventually we're going to have a global, you know, government <laughs> that that basically allows us all to be humans engaging in non-zero trades right or yes. non-zero exchanges exactly and he also yeah he, he also has this other thing about um like the, oh it's the evolution of god that's what it okay is. right yeah, yeah. <laughs> his two favorite his two favorite topics yeah um yeah so he also kind of has this argument that um like there's a uh, evolution isn't open-ended there's like a point yeah. to everything to all of it and it's i guess the point is uh, like a non-zero uh human society which is funny because fukuyama is not i mean bob wright is like a anti-neocon and yeah <laughs> i think fukuyama is kind of neoconish clearly maybe, neocon yeah i would say from this book yeah. anyway yeah so it's funny that they have like these similar tracks but probably hate each other um, <laughs> <laughs> um do i buy it I, i'm not sure if i do um because something I wasn't expecting either is like, I kind of know who Francis Fukuyama was, right? He's talking about politics and international relations and like communism and all this other stuff. And then like 80% of the book is about like continental philosophy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm not sure I'm qualified to, to speak on it, but to me as like a, just a person seems like bunk. It like, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's just a weird, like crazy German man making stuff up. Um, it's been known to happen, you know? <laughs> yeah. But I mean, but uh, so there are a lot of us just, I, I, you're right. And I think that there are a lot of assertions, right? So like, for example, mm-hmm. when he gets into, into Dymos and, and we'll get into that. Yeah. Um, you know, the, it's just we we had apparently the soul has three parts, like reason, desire, and thymus, and we know this because like Aristotle uh, said so. Aristotle said so, and that's it, and that's the point of departure. So you know, so so there's a lot of that. I totally agree, yeah. but I don't know. He makes a pretty convincing case that given like once once Francis Bacon came into the picture, uh, and you know we we uh, understood his scientific method. Like there's no going back, right? Once you do that, you're bound to go in a particular direction, which is uh, greater and greater uh, understanding and mastery of the world, 
And once you have that, like so many other things just begin to fall into place and you can't really go like, and you can't eradicate that knowledge no matter how, like you really would have to just completely nuke the earth. Right. Yeah. We have right. to go to caveman times, but even then we would probably, probably know that discover um, yeah. the scientific method. Right. So, so that, that was kind of convincing to me. I yeah. mean, uh, that, I mean, that doesn't, you know, I don't think you, you can com- maybe completely deduce from that, that liberal democracy is the end of history. <laughs> But that was an, you know, a very compelling kind of idea, which I guess is also, um, you know, kind of like just a, a Marxist idea. Yeah. And just like really, really like in a nutshell, um, I guess most of today we'll be talking about how we feel about the book rather than like yeah. going in yeah, nitty gritty. We, we like can't. His, yeah. his um, like the argument, like in a really, really tiny little nutshell is um, like these various things that happen in history or a capital H history, like there are multiple tracks. There's like the, the modern, like what do you call it? Natural science to separate it from fake social science, I think. <laughs> right. Like basically just science, capital S science, the scientific method, right? That um, that combined with what he calls the logic of desire. Mm-hmm. So you have modern natural science plus the logic of desire, which is just basically like economic growth um, combined with what he calls the struggle for recognition. Those three things is what leads to liberal uh capitalist liberal democracy mm-hmm. and um he spends a lot of the book delving e- into each of those things uh, although more into the, the struggle for recognition than the other two and you know trying to i guess prove or yeah, prove that you know this is what modern liberal democracy is built on those three things you can't have liberal democracy without all three you can have economic growth and like science and not have a liberal democracy if you don't have the struggle for recognition. Anyway, so that's his, uh, that's like, that's the book. That's, um, you know, th- those three things throughout history. And, uh, you know, he talks about them uh, combined at the end of the 20th century um, to produce the world that we lived in. <laughs> um, right. And um, there's no further, yeah, there's no further, uh, kind of ideological construct that you know improves on the on liberal democracy and he you know because he's talking about hegel he has like his idea of um, contradictions Mm -hmm. and how you judge whether a system is like successful and complete and finished is if it if it no longer has any internal contradictions so if it still has contradictions you can improve upon it and this is something marx obviously talked about like the the contradictions of capitalism uh, I mean, Fukuyama would say Marx was wrong. <laughs> uh, I'm right. willing to sign on to that. Um, but, you know, I think he would posit that generally liberal democracy doesn't have those contradictions. Therefore, it can't be improved upon. Doesn't mean like everything is perfect. It's not a utopia. Right. That's not his point. His point isn't that like everything is perfect or that stuff won't happen or even bad stuff won't happen, but that, that there is no. Will... Yeah. Yeah. Or that we will regress. Uh, for some reason or another. Yeah, and anything is is like is possible, but he's talking in right. like kind of capitalized, free floating kind of ideal idealized terms, and capitalist liberal democracy is like the best you're going to do. Um, right. Yeah, so that's kind of where he's that's where he's coming from. Those are his those are his terms. That's his argument. Yeah. Okay, and so and we'll get to whether there are contradictions or not. Uh, uh, as he does, you know, at the end. <clears throat> um, but 
but just going back, I don't think you've given me a straight answer. So, so <laughs> you reject the idea that um, there is uh, a, you know, progress is not the right word, but in, but an evolutionary uh, direction to history. You know, I I guess I'm just agnostic on it. I yeah, I, yeah. I he makes a very good case when he's talking less when he avoids capitalized terms yes. and, and like um, when he avoids grand, when he uh, avoids grand, like, yeah. Theorizing and philosophy. I'm, I am more convinced for ca- example, ca- categorical okay. when he avoids being categorical. Right. Sure. Well, yeah. it's more like, and maybe these are just my own biases. Um, yeah. Like for example, like those two or three tracks that I talked about, like modern natural science, like his point is why, why is this important, right? Why do we tend towards societies that embrace science, right? Technology. And in large part is because, you know, states go to war with each other and you can't win a war against a technologically uh, superior foe. You have to keep up. Um, And and, you you either have to keep up or you're going to be destroyed. And then the more advanced one takes over. Exactly. So it's evolutionary in that way. It is evolutionary in that way. And that's why, you know, these kind of unpleasant regimes in all over the world, not just in Europe, but, you know, would hire the best metallurgists and gunsmiths and chemists and whatnots, right? They, uh, they're fighting against each other. It's not noble in particular or, or anything like that. But that's why, uh, you know, the societies that embrace science just survive. It, it is evolutionary. I, and I, I totally buy that. Same thing goes for like the logic of desire or just economic growth. You know, people like being comfortable and having nice stuff and being rich is very nice when you're trying to defend yourself (laughs) or prop up a a proxy in Eastern Europe, something like that. Um, So evolutionarily, you you either get with the program, right, and embrace some version of capitalism or industrialization or whatnot, right, Um, or you fall behind and get buried uh, like the communists were. Mm -hmm. And I also kind of buy like the whole, a good chunk of the book is about what he calls the struggle for recognition. This is like the the Timos, the Timos that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, And that also like makes sense to me that like people don't just want bread, right? They, Mm -hmm. it's not just about your economic, um, you're not, it's not just about your economic status. It's kind of like nobody wants to like receive their weekly paycheck by having the boss throw money in their face. Right. That's, <laughs> you know, you still get the money. Right. But that's uh, it's kind of damaging to your self-esteem, to your view as like a human your, being, your dignity, your dignity. Right. Um, yeah. And like individually, they all kind of make sense. And I kind of get why, like where it's going. It's just, um, I guess I'm just too pessimistic. Like I don't see, you don't see that all adding up to uh, like, I could see it adding up. Like it kind of, it has added up, right. That's kind of yeah. the world in which we live. Um, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's like the highest stage. Uh, that seems like maybe you lack imagination. Uh, not that I'm like a post-liberal or something, uh, yeah, I promise. Yeah, yeah. but um, I oh, also wait, but don't do, think yeah. it's pre- necessarily like super stable. Right. But that's yeah. not the, sorry, I don't mean to, uh, I feel like I'm prosecuting you. But, no, that's not the, but that's not the question at hand. The question at hand is, is there a direction to history? And we, I guess your, your ultimate answer is, you know, he makes a persuasive case, but yeah. you're just not like, you, you're not willing, you're not ready. 
to accept it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it and could part just of that, be in the, in the cycle, right? Because there, he does admit that like sometimes there are cycles, but it's like the, the slope is generally upwards, but it's like a business yeah. cycle. And I, I'm not sure. Um, yeah. Could, um, he, I mean, you could also like he says like, well, maybe we're all going to get like wiped away by nuclear bombs and global warming, and then unless everyone is killed, there will be some remnant that like I don't yeah. know remembers the, these things, right? Uh, the scientific yeah. method and stuff. But it's like, well, is that really? Uh, <laughs> I mean, that could be the cycle. Yeah, but like then you reach the top and then you're. But I think I think he concedes that, right? Like, like yeah. he's like, yeah, if that's the, if that's the way we get back to the beginning, okay, fine. Yeah. But like, come on, like let's not. Uh, yeah, I know. So, I, like you, I think I kind of my you know my re- the reasoning part of my mm-hmm. soul um, bristles at this idea that there, you know that there's. Uh, you know, a direction to history, mm-hmm. but he makes a good case. And like, I, I, you know, I'd have to think about it more before I can really just have more than just an instinct against it. No. Yeah. Um, I, it, and to me, it really is just kind of like, a, I'm just wary. It's, I don't have a, yeah. uh, like a coherent uh, objection. Okay. And he does address, like you said that like, well, yeah, like a, a meteor could come and kill everyone, but that's not really, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's not really like, that doesn't really argument. answer. Yeah. It's not an argument. It's like, yeah. You know, if you get to, uh, if there's a special pill that makes you live forever, but you get hit by a bus, that's not really, that's not yeah. the pill's fault. Yeah. Uh, okay. So point Fukuyama. Um, oh, excuse me. <laughs> so then, then the question uh, is, um, so one thing that I, not, so, so that was very interesting and persuasive to me, right? For what it's worth. The other thing that was persuasive to me, and I guess I really haven't, delved too much into continental philosophy yeah. although i have read you know a little bit about existentialism and hegel comes up uh in there a little bit um is sort of hegel's conception of the first man and by the way it is the end of history and the last man so maybe we should talk about what the last man is and yeah there's the first man but hegel's conception of the first man seems to me a lot more intuitive than the lockean first man which i've always kind of taken as kind of like a bible story right like as a, sure right yeah 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 like hob so like i guess hobbs and Locke, hobbs, right? hobbs hobbs better than yeah yeah more, more clearly than Locke. yeah and i'm sure everybody knows like the nasty brutish and short what is, right. is that there's another one yeah <laughs> nasty something brutish and short yeah yes um you know they're, they're talking they're trying to justify uh it's just I'm, it's just basically social contract right it's just yeah exactly says Hey, it's, it's war of all against all, and so then you know, um, so, so it's th- it's a three panel comic, right? Like war against all, mm-hmm. question mark, question mark, question mark. People enter into a social contract, Leviathan, where, yeah, you know, whatever. <laughs> Leviathan then profit, right? Yeah, yes. And and it's like, well, what's question mark, question mark, question mark, right? And yeah. Hegel basically provides that panel, that missing panel, I guess. Right. Yeah. So in in opposition to like, I guess what, what Fukuyama would call like Anglo-Saxon liberals, and he would put Hobbes and Locke in there, um, you know, who, yeah, they, there's a war of all against all, people are insecure in their property and to kind of make their property secure, which is um, like, that's something that, it's a desire, right? I desire right. to keep my property secure. And I know that, you know, we're kind of in anarchy right now, we're gonna both, or I guess all agree that, 
we're going to like basically pick somebody to rule over us in a, in a just manner. Right. Or at least a, uh, maybe not necessarily just, but uh, in some sort of manner, like there will be order. And, and pick is such a weird uh, idea that they would just sure. with. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, it is, it is like you said, like a little Bible story. It's probably not whatever really happened. And that, that's okay. <laughs> um, except that like we use this to kind of justify a lot of stuff, even in normal politics, you right. know, when people claim like love it or leave it or like, well, <laughs> you know, you agreed to live here. It's like, I agreed to something that happened 300 years ago, <laughs> I guess. Right. Um, so we do actually use like this, the, the idea of like a social contract all the time, even day to day. Um, anyway, Hegel has a different conception of like the first man. And it is, correct me if I'm wrong, it is, I guess his little Bible story is like two men who mm -hmm. go to war against each other to prove their, um, oh God, I forgot the word. It's not timos, right? He uses um, esteem. Uh, uh, they're, um, oh God. Uh, Let's go to the. Uh, their self-worth, their um, uh, recognition. Prestige. There we go. So, so yeah. <sighs> Basically, there's going to be somebody. There's a war of all against all. But there's going to be somebody who is going to say. So, in the, uh, a state of nature, people could cooperate, <laughs> right? Yes. And uh, and live together in peace and harmony. And that's what Rousseau thinks would happen, which is insane that, that he would think that. Um, uh, but there's always going to be somebody who wants to be recognized as better than his peers. And he's going to demand to be recognized uh, as better. And if they won't, he will um, make them submit. And so you get, you know, and basically there's a, there'll, there'll be a battle. You'll say, you know, uh, he'll hit you over the head with a rock and then, you know, you'll hit back, I guess. And at some point there's somebody who will through force, become the lord right mm -hmm. and uh and so you get to a equilibrium a, you know another stage right so kind of the, the first stage of of political development where you have what does he call it bondage and lordship or something right yeah like a, a master and a slave master and slave mm -hmm. and and that basically accounts for you know from the beginning of time uh up until essentially christianity uh, but then going through Christianity uh, into, uh, you know, uh, you know, I guess until Francis Bacon begins to. <laughs> it all know. starts with Francis Bacon, yeah, just like yeah. Campbell said. Yeah. Just like <laughs> yeah. Uh, so anyhow, so, so that makes a lot of sense to me. And uh, that, and it, that it's this struggle for recognition. Um, so I guess we should talk about Thymus. Uh, so Aristotle said that there are three parts to, and, and I guess this is echoed by lots of other folks too, that there are three parts to the soul. You have reason, you have desire, and you have thymos, which is, which I don't understand why it's a, um, a separate thing. To me, it's part of desire. Yes. He tries to explain the mm -hmm. difference. Uh, and he uh, has a passage, which I think is from the Republic, which I thought yep. was by Plato, but I guess it's technically, it's like Plato writing as Socrates, but whatever. Yeah. And, um, I didn't really, <laughs> I didn't really buy it. I didn't understand mm -hmm. the, uh, 
I didn't, I didn't understand the distinction, but um, I, I, I'll, I'm willing to accept it. And the, the, the way I see it is, and I meant to go back and, and look in uh, what's the other book we read on desire to see if, if it addresses it, but I, I didn't get a chance to look. But to me, it seems like a spectrum, right? It's kind of like Maslow's hierarchy, right? Or, or something like that, where at the base you have, you have a desire for food and shelter, right? Right. <laughs> And, but then at some point, once you've satisfied that, and, and, and we understand that Maslow's hierarchy is not right. And these things are not like, uh, there's no point at which you only have desire for food and no other desires. That makes you know, no sense. But still, the point is, you have these desires. And as they're satisfied, you have more time to dedicate to uh, higher order desires of uh, what I guess Maslow would say is self-actualization. And so, for example, you want to be be recognized by other people, and and Fukuyama, you know, says, and I guess says Hegel says, that um, humans are different from animals because humans want to be recognized by other humans, right? Like uh, they care what other humans think of them. Yeah, and yeah, that. And I- and that's yeah. a different kind of desire, kind of like a, a, a qualitatively different kind of desire that he would put a separate category called thymos, which is like a, a, a desire for recognition. Uh, anyhow, yeah. Yeah. And I, I guess I, I, I guess I'm kind of willing to accept it, too, because I guess what what Frank, we'll call him Frank, might yeah. say is at every point, if you want to use like Maslow's pyramid, humans desire or i guess want recognition at every point yeah that even when you're some lowly peasant and you're just just making by um and you're fine i mean you're not fine but like you're willing to accept kind of crappy housing and not enough food necessarily and all these other things because that's what you need to survive uh you are still you, you might not even put up with that if your if your dignity is violated constantly right mm-hmm that um, you know, you're willing to put up with substandard everything if it lets you live, um, because you know people, in addition to having a desire for esteem, they also just want to keep living. Um, that's what makes them slaves. <laughs> in right. this, in this, because a slave is somebody who values his life more than he values his uh, his dignity. Basically, is what Hegel says. Right. Um, he values his desire more than his desire for recognition. Yeah. Yeah. Although, like, we're using desire a lot, but anyway. Uh, yeah, even that person still has like a separate, um, you know, kind of thirst or urge to be recognized. Um, it's just that, you know, the desire to live overwhelms it. Um, and that's what, you know, keeps him a slave. But it's like a separate track. It's like a separate thing. And I, I think it like you're right. At some point, it's just kind of all jumbled together. And like, is it really a separate? Maybe it's just like just permeates the whole thing. Um and that's what makes it special. But I'm willing to separate desire from like Timos and his team. I just don't know if he did a very good job of explaining it in the book. Right. Like that one example of um, some guy in, in Athens trying to trying to not look at corpses, but then he does give in to his desire right. to look at corpses, but he's mad at himself for giving in. Right. And that's his that's his esteem. That's his pride. That's his like Timos is kind of shame is shaming him. But it could just be another like he just has multiple desires that he can't reconcile. So I think that was just a bad example Um, or maybe I'm (laughs) ignorant. (laughs) But (laughs) 
but um, I'm willing to accept it as like a separate thing uh, personally. Yeah. But anyhow, so so I guess Timos is what drives history. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but it's a contradiction in the system because the master, so the the slaves want to be recognized, but they're slaves, right? Uh, and the master wants to be recognized by more than mere slaves, right? Mm-hmm. And so the way that liberalism reconciles this is it replaces um it it basically makes everybody a master of themselves Uh and it and and so now god this is so stupid we have to introduce the concept of (laughs) megalothemia and Uh isothemia right yes so megalothemia is what the lord uh um it you know um uh uh has right when he wants to be recognized and by force he will make people submit to him uh etc um and then isothemia is the idea that we all recognize each other right Am is I, that what isothemia is maybe i'm maybe i'm uh so let's see um <clears throat> the desire to be recognized as superior to other people that's megalothemia that's megalothemia right yes and looking up these definitions, <laughs> um, and I thought isothemia was just a desire to be recognized as uh, as equals, as equals, or something, yeah. or, or just being recognized at all. Uh, I thought it was about equality, but anyhow, let's let's not. Yes, make, Me- megalothemia make is, the, is the big one. Yeah. Uh, anyhow, so so liberalism reconciles us by basically. Uh, making everybody a master of themselves. And the important kind of inflection point here is Christianity, which, all, you know, again, Fukuyama and Bob Wright um, uh, uh, make very similar arguments here, right? Bob Wright obviously puts a lot of, I mean, he's writing about Christianity, but he, he points out that uh, Christianity is a turning point because it's, so Hegel said basically that they were a bunch of sort of slave ideologies um, that allowed people to sort of come to terms with their lot in life and kind of begin to discover the idea of liberty, right? So they were slaves. Yeah. Liberty wasn't even like on the menu, um, but they slowly invent slash discover the idea of liberty. And he says, like, for example, that Stoicism was an early uh, slave ideology. And that's true. So with Stoicism, you even if you can't control your situation, you're always free in your own head, right? You're free, even if you can't control, uh, you're free in your own mind, basically, even if you can't control what happens to you externally. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you come to peace with, with the world because ultimately you are free and you feel free. Uh, but that's a slave, but that's basically a slave ideology. Right. <laughs> um, uh, and Christianity um, is kind of the the one that ultimately like really reconciles this because what it does is, is that it creates uh, it, it says basically that everybody is equal and everybody has equal dignity and there is a Lord uh, but that Lord is elsewhere. <laughs> he is in heaven. It, it, is, it is God. It is separate, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but all the slaves are uh, but we are all here are all slaves and we all have equal dignity. And so there's that equality piece. Um, 
and uh, and basically liberalism is secular Christianity. Does that make sense? Yeah. That, yeah, yeah. It's like yeah. Well, or it's like an outgrowth of of secularized Christianity. Um, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I mean, that is kind of yeah. That's an argument. Kind of that's a good good uh, good chunk of the book, kind of laying it out. I think you did an admirable job. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So like the inherent contradictions of, we could just call it feudalism, right? Right. And I mean, like people will have a economic explanation for why feudalism failed. And I guess that's Marx, right? And just, just people, right? Economists, people will just point out it wasn't as efficient as like industrialized society, but Hegel would say like, no, it's the Lord isn't, doesn't get what he wants out of being the Lord. It's like what he right. said, like, you don't want to be, uh, what is it? You'd never want to be part of a club that would have you as a member. All right. Oh, <laughs> come like, on. That was, that was Groucho, not Woody Allen. Is that Groucho? Yes. Groucho. Wow. Come on. A Marxist. Yeah. Yes. So uh, anyway, <laughs> so, I mean, that's kind of the state that uh, like these, like he, he, what he's describing is like aristocrats, the aristocratic way of life, these kind of dissolute aristocrats and all they get up for is going to war. Um, so, um, part of the, uh, and I guess we can get into it, like part of the program and he, he, he says that liberalism didn't just kind of develop, right. This was, he, he does say it was like a a program, like this was created on purpose, Mm -hmm. which I'm like, I I guess, um, maybe (laughs) (laughs) I'm not not sure about that because it, it took a long time and there are a lot of different people who probably hated each other who contributed to it. But, you know, one of the first an important things that liberalism did is it kind of neutered the aristocrats, mm-hmm. right? Um, whereas, you, I mean, you can still see this kind of like in the alt-right, they kind of glorify men on horses, like running at each other um, <laughs> and just killing each other and like the glory of war and all that other stuff. And that's a very like, it's oh. a very like Lord uh mm-hmm. Uh, point of view right this is this is the word is glory right that's that's the that's the point of it all and what liberals and liberalism did is it kind of neutered them and it made them seem ridiculous and wasteful and antisocial. um and slowly over time it turned aristocrats and warlords basically and kind of these these people that didn't do anything except steal and -hmm. kill each other um you know it turned them into businessmen and yeah and like politicians and kind of those types of people it basically uh, elevated them it basically used reason to elevate um the satisfaction of desire uh to to you know to be the main point of uh of society uh and and of man right and kind of diminished uh pursuit of satisfying thymos right yeah yeah. and aristocratic pleasures yeah and instead channeled whatever thymos remained into the uh pursuit of desire yeah which in in his satisfaction of desire yeah which for him basically means like economic competition correct um yes so uh and and basically consumer society and and Mm -hmm. yeah so first industrial society and then like post-industrial society so like he points out that in japan when they when the japanese decided to uh, modernize and westernize in the late 19th century they actually turned samurais right into kind of like 
businessmen. Like, I'm right. not sure if it was the same people. It probably was, right? I they, think it was. They, yeah, yeah, like they became industrialists and probably like landowners and mill owners and whatever. So instead of every once in a while pillaging the countryside, <laughs> killing everybody and getting your jollies, you become like a super rich industrialist and get a suit and that sort of thing. Um, and, you know, one of the mechanisms, and it's so one of the things I noticed is like, he's a little, he's kind of brief on how this happened because mm -hmm. um, I'm sure it was very different in different societies and it probably wasn't so easy. Uh, but one of the things that the, the slaves, right? <laughs> one of the things the slave mentality came up with was like conscience and shame and, um, like mercy and like just plain old like liberalism and Christianity and that sort of thing. And they, they and that somehow, comes, and that comes from equal dignity. Yes. And they, and they kind of like used it as a weapon against the aristocrats. Right. So it'd be interesting to like learn like how that actually played out because, uh, you know, I'm sure it took a we, while. <laughs> we saw some of that in the book we read about uh, the first Christians uh, or the last Romans, I should say. Right. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, Okay, uh, where to go from where here? We? Oh, yeah. I was going to say, but Thymos is always lurking in the background, right? Like it, mm -hmm. you can't, you can't really, and so he, you know, this is uh, kind of very relevant to our current moment. Um, he talks about World War One and how right before World War One, you had, you know, industrialization was going gangbusters. The world was getting completely globalized. People were trading with each other. And uh, and nonetheless, there was this bloodthirst uh, driven by the desire for recognition uh, all across Europe that led to World War One. Yeah, or at least was released by World War One. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. Whether it was, you know, yeah. I mean, yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm not sure if it was just there waiting to be released or it. Um, it caused World War One, but um, yeah, I mean, he 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 does address large. He does tr apply some of these ideas to America. Mm -hmm. What am I trying to say? Like in the sections of the book where he addresses like the American system, both like as it was created, as it is now, kind of the problems that we have, um, even circa mid nineteen nineties. Like prayer in school, mm -hmm. <laughs> that old chestnut. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't heard about that in a while. Um, you know, he, he talks about how the founding fathers, despite being kind of Anglo-Saxon liberals and getting their ideas from Locke and Hobbes and a bunch of other people, they still recognize that, like, the not the desire, but esteem and timos and glory, like, they play a role in human affairs. And it's not... Um, it's not wise to just completely ignore those things when you're setting up a government or, or anything else. And in fact, like the, um, like the whole idea of checks and balances and um, like competing branches was in large part set up because they knew like, you know, ambition will check ambition. Like you can't stop these things from happening. Yep, so let's channel them. Right. Yeah. So let's, uh, you know, that's like the, the, the freaking genius of the system is that, we're not going to pretend that people are, are good all the time, that we know that bad people are going to want to be in charge. So let's check them with, <laughs> at worst, other bad people, uh, but at best, um, you know, people that are good that have power um, over them just because of the way the constitution sets things up. So like they, they got it and they, they built it into the, the American system. And you still have that 
I guess I mean, I'll say today, although it was written in the 1990s, right? You, you know, this just explains why, at least to my reading, just why, why politics is so psycho. I mean, yeah, 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 but like, you know, this is why politics is so like crazy, right? Uh, why it, from the outside you look at certain things and it's like this is so obviously like it's not just zero sum it's like triple negative sum <laughs> <laughs> like whatever you people are up to um even if your particular um interest group quote wins uh you know <laughs> it's not really winning is it but right. um when you factor in you know esteem and pride and glory and timos it it, it tends to make sense and i think he's he's correct in that <laughs> like modern social science has swung so far in um, in just analyzing things from like an economic point of view. Mm -hmm. um, like the, it's all about desire and like science. Now people give short shrift to, to timos and esteem. It's very hard for people to like grasp that. And it's like, all around us. <laughs> yeah. It's like, no, like, like he uses an example of like workers striking for better pay. Like, yeah, it, it, it I'm sure they want more money, but you know, it, it might not just be totally cynical and craven. It might be like they actually feel um, that their pride has been damaged, that yeah. I work really hard and you don't pay me very well, and you don't treat me very well. Like, and you're going to show me respect, you know, just it's going to be in this way that you show me respect, um, which is very convenient for them. But, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, like you can't ignore those things, um, which, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, it, even for myself, it's something I tend to ignore. Like, you know, I'm very cynical and I always think like, you know, follow the money, qui bono, <laughs> like who, what are you up to over there? <laughs> Where are you hiding the gold? <clears throat> but um, yeah, you so, know, it, yeah. Uh, so I was going to say, we should get to the critique of, of this theory. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, I, I, I have two big problems right like, not problems but like um basically what he is saying is that liberal democracy has no contradictions and i don't see i don't think he's right um maybe the contradictions that i identify are just small so they're not a big deal um uh, and at least one of them are contra it's a contradiction that he identifies and, and i'm not sure how he explains it away maybe you can tell me but I, I'll, I'll tell you two contradictions that i spot and i'd love to know if you have if you spotted others. So number one, he talks over and over and over throughout the book that, that basically uh, the reason that liberalism has been on top is because liberalism sort of became the standard for legitimacy of, of political system, right? Mm -hmm. uh, whenever, you know, uh, whenever there's a communist regime somewhere, um, you know, or, or just some authoritarian regime, they still hold elections even if the leader wins 90% of the vote, right? Because yeah. they're acknowledging that the standard is uh, that you should have elections and you should be popularly elected in order to legitimately hold power, right? And so mm -hmm. that's just a complete concession to liberal uh, democracy. Uh, but liberalism's legitimacy, he says over and over throughout the book, depends on irrational beliefs, right? Because liberalism provides no meaning <laughs> it provides no there's no content to it it's kind of it's very uh, uh other than equality and tolerance right that's the only thing 
but aside from that, you've got a, it's basically very process oriented. It's just everybody's equal. So everybody should just be allowed to do their own thing. And if you have people come together in communities and associations um, and work through a liberal process, you're going to end up with lots of great stuff. Right. Yes. And that's by design that it's, it's, it's totally supposed to give the, the people, the, the citizens, like as much latitude as possible to kind of, I mean, I'm not going to be fancy, do their own thing as long as it doesn't interfere with the ability of other people to do their own thing. Right. Yeah. But the, but the problem is, and he very points this Frenchian, out, by the way. Yes. <laughs> and, and he points this out. Uh, but, but the problem is that by, by virtue of the fact that the only, um, that, that the only value contained in liberalism is tolerance, what ends up happening is that you, you get, uh, what is it, a uh, acid bath that destroys all associations and communities that are by design must be predicated in all irrational beliefs. You know, number one, you get rid of irrational beliefs like God. Okay, so, okay, so there goes the unifying uh, 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 sort of linchpin for a lot of these associations. But then secondly, a lot of these associations are predicated on the fact that we're doing things better than other people. But if you can't say that, if you can't say, no, that's wrong. And what we're doing is right, because it, that to say so would be intolerant. You just completely destroy all the underpinning of liberalism. So I'm not sure. So it's yeah. maybe his point is that there's that, you know, so anyhow, I see as a huge contradiction and we're, one that we're seeing now that, you know, obviously. Yeah. Um, I, I guess it goes to the question of like how neutral is, can a liberal state be? Let's just right. like not say liberalism, capital L, that's like yep. really arty farty, like that's yep. too free floating. It's like, so let's say you have a liberal state, like how, how neutral can you be? So your public library sponsors uh, drag time reading hour or whatever mm -hmm. for kids, right? Right. So, you know, you'd be you'd be fine inviting a fireman to do this, right? Yes. How about a cop? Yes. Teacher? Yeah. Astronaut? So why not a drag queen? Like, what's your problem? Right. So, like, you, I, I don't think anyone who's like an actual liberal, in a can answer that question in a liberal way with anything but like I can't have any complaints about this. Right as a liberal, right. As like a member of my political as Christian, I could as a Christian or as like a, uh, like a fuddy duddy or, a, or a whatever. I got, I got complaints, but like, I can't say anything about it because at least in the political realm, cause like, well, I mean, that's true. Like what, what difference yeah. is it? Um, cause they're not hurting anybody. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, how, uh, how neutral is that? And, um, you know, it goes to like, the, <laughs> that could be like the contradiction is like the retail politics that goes on and something like that um, might not be coming from a liberal place itself, right? And he never really, he, he kind of addresses it, but he just assumes that there are like checks and balances to, to kind of nip that sort of thing in the bud. You know, he, he recognizes that you can use like quote democratic means like for, for bad purposes, um, like tyrants do it all the time and mobs can do it. But I, I think you're right in, in that, like how neutral can the state be? And if it stops being neutral, uh, 
you know, people will notice eventually and say something about it. And if all they get in response is, well, you're being illiberal because, you know, we're being neutral. Uh, that could cause like a huge, that, that could be the contradiction, right? That kind of starts eating away at the legitimacy. And by the way, like I thought he would spend more time on the idea of legitimacy in the mm-hmm. book. Um, he talks about it a lot, like the first couple of chapters. I'm not sure he ever really gets back to it, but that would have been interesting. But anyway, um, it's like a side note. Um, so yeah, I see where you're coming from. Um, he, he, he kind of talks about like, there's no democracy without Democrats, right? That's like the chapter, he has a chapter in that, like you need people who want democracy in order to have democracy. It's like, you're not going to really impose it. I don't know if he was in in favor of the Iraq war, but you're not going to impose those things at the the barrel of a gun. You're just not. Uh, It's almost a contradiction. Um, So you probably need people with liberal mindsets, right, to have liberalism. Because if if you're like a Bolshevik and you're more than willing to use the mechanisms of liberalism and like democracy and parliament against your enemies until you win and then you know put everyone in prison (laughs) or lock them out of the of the political process um you know that's that's probably not good um and that that could be another contradiction right there is like it's very and he addresses it right but it's very hard to keep out the intolerant Right in a tolerant society, because like, well, now you're not being neutral anymore, are you? Yeah. You're you're saying that like the Bolsheviks are intolerant. I mean, more than likely in America, it would be like right wingers are intolerant. To Trump Trump tires so, are intolerant. So I think I may have mentioned told the story before here. Uh, so we we have friends. Well, I guess I'm not going to give too much detail because, uh, but we have um, a gay couple. That's a friend of ours, and um, they were—they're activists uh, for gay rights. Um, and so, years ago, when um, uh, the Supreme Court uh, uh, ruled that gay marriage was a constitutional right, they were very excited. And we were at dinner with them. And we said, "That's terrific." We're, you know, I mean, you know, I'm not super happy that it had to be done this way, but that's yeah. procedural or whatever. But you know, I'm I'm really glad. It's great. And they're and they say, yeah, this is fantastic. And then and they say, um, but this is just the beginning. The next step is we need to make them bake the cake. They didn't say that exactly. They <laughs> they said they said something like we have to make um, people uh, give us accommodations or you know yeah. however they said it. But it, it, you know this is on the day. This is like you know like shortly after the the, the gay marriage decision. Uh, these activists were telling me, yeah, the next step is. Um, we have to make people give us accommodations, uh, even if they don't want to. Yeah. Uh, and so that's, you know, in the name of tolerance and equality. And, you know, uh, Fukuyama uh, uh, totally acknowledges, I mean, 1992, and, right? I mean, I'm trying to see, uh, uh, he says, a future left-wing threat to liberal democracy is much more likely to wear the clothing of liberalism while changing its meaning from within rather than to stage a frontal attack on basic democratic constitutional principles. For example, almost all liberal democracies have seen a massive proliferation of new quote-unquote rights over the past generation. Mm-hmm. Not content merely to protect life, liberty, and property, many democracies has, uh, have also defined rights to privacy, travel, employment, recreation, sexual preference, which by the way, you can't say anymore, uh, abortion, <laughs> childhood, and so on. 
Needless to say, many of these rights are ambiguous in their social content and mutually contradictory. It is easy to see uh, to foresee situations in which the basic rights defined by, say, the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution were seriously abridged by newly minted rights whose aim was a more thoroughgoing equalization of society. Nah, I don't see that happening. Yeah. That's, that's crazy talk. So Frank, I mean, you said it here. Like, uh, did he, did I miss it? Did he explain where this thing that he identified uh, is resolved somehow? I think he kind of says no. at the end, he says a civilization that indulges in unbridled isothemia, which uh-huh. is that equalization of society, uh, that fanatically seeks to eliminate every manifestation of unequal recognition will quickly run into limits imposed by nature itself. Ha. So, <laughs> yeah, nice try. It was a I guess. <laughs> <It's a turf. laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I, you know, but he, uh, you know, you could say like, this is not a contradiction. This is just, right. you know, politics working itself out. Um, right. These things are going to happen, but the, you know, the, the power of deliberative democracy, capitalism and liberalism is, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a place for people to, to do this peacefully and through like an evolutionary process, um, it will be fine. Like it may not be fine tomorrow in five years or 10 years, but it could be um, it, higher, ever higher. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it could be that. So, so that's so the t- optimistic take, right? I mean, I, I tend to agree well, that like this, this stuff does start to eat, eat, eat the host from within. Right. Yep. Um, yep. So it could be that the actual end of history and is so, okay. So something that always comes up in discussing the end of history is China. Right. Uh-huh. Yes. Uh, and does China actually present a, a new different model from liberal democracy where you have basically uh, authoritarian capitalism? Right. Uh-huh. Um, and I don't think that China as a state and in, in the CCP, I should say more, you know, kind of more precisely, I don't think it's going to succeed um, because of a lot of internal contradictions there that uh, are going to quickly run into its limits imposed by nature itself, to quote. Uh, a great man. Uh, yeah but it could be that are they, they are they contradictions or are they just problems you think they're contradictions uh so i, I actually don't think they're practicing capitalism there right uh, no yeah right? it doesn't seem like it right not like free market capitalism they're not practicing free market capitalism and that's going to catch up with them yeah um but maybe they're maybe we're actually maybe what people think china is perfecting is actually being perfected here in the united states or in the west <gasps> jerry Right, you're, you're scaring me. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yes. Right. I mean, how about that? Uh, and and so and so maybe that's actually the end of history. Is you do get this just equalization, um, and the thymos is not just channeled through uh, becoming a captain of industry, but also becoming the head of an HR department. Mm. Uh, and uh, and, you know, there's a mass of people yeah. who just have to eat shit for a long time. And that's it. Then there's no. Yeah. But I mean, you know, I guess what a good Hegelian would say is, yeah. and I think he, um, to his credit, I think Fukuyama like wrote a whole book about identity. I think it's just yeah, called yeah, Identity, yeah. right? Which yeah, we should read that. worth reading. And then that, uh, and he's not a fan of like identity politics as it's practiced like now, I don't think. Um, but like those we'll just call it wokeism, right? That's what everyone calls it. Like that is just a mess of contradictions. Like it's not even like right. it has contradictions, it's incoherent. Um, and 
Um, I don't know if it's a passing phase or a fad or it's here to stay or it's going to so disfigure um, like American politics and society uh, to, to the point where like it's the like the problems we're going to it's going to cause more problems going down the line like like everything seems to um, like I, I don't know personally but like I yeah. don't see it long-term succeeding it doesn't mean it, it won't be like a net yeah. negative or like a massive problem i mean like you know communism had contradictions and it collapsed but it like <laughs> the people who had to live through that didn't exactly like all get risen from the grave and uh you know everything was right. fine afterwards like it's it could just bring um a lot of stuff down with it yeah um which which kind of goes to his point right that, yeah. that, that it's gonna it's gonna run into the limits of you know, nature, <laughs> you know, not just the- nature, but just like, like he says, like people have esteem. I, I think, it, you know, I, I, fall, I, 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 I fall, I fall prey to this too. Like the pessimism of like, it's just going to be like a, uh, a Birkenstock foot on a human face forever. Right. <laughs> but like, even under like brutal communism, yeah, like people made fun of Stalin. Right. You know, they got thrown in prison for it, but they still did it. Like people made fun of Hitler and after those things softened up and we're obviously nowhere near such a regime now um you know people rolled their eyes they didn't believe it maybe they mouthed it in person but like behind closed doors um you know they all hated it and thought it was ridiculous most of them and at some point there's a you know quran kind of moment uh with the slow clap and all that yeah uh and and by the way i include all that into this idea of limits imposed by nature itself right because because you know uh at some point you i don't know world war three could start and everything is put (laughs) into perspective right yeah for Uh, about five minutes yeah uh (laughs) could be be five minutes yeah but that's that's enough right that i mean so uh yeah yeah so you, you said you had two uh, uh, I kind of combine. I kind of. I okay. guess there were, there were one, right? So, so I, I had written down uh, liberalism depends on irrational beliefs, but then I also had liberalism turns on tolerance. But it, okay, it, it, I they, see. they're basically yeah. The other one, which is not really a contradiction, but it's just kind of like an interesting. So he also talks about uh, basically, and this, and he kind of cites um, what's his face, uh, clash of civilizations, uh, Huntington, Huntington. Yep. So, so the importance of work for its own sake and the work ethic, mm-hmm. um, uh, kind of. So you, you have this hypo, the hypothemic instinct. Um, you can't um, kind of express this uh, in uh, what is it? So what's it called? Combat soul combat. Uh, Mutual combat. Mutual combat. Yeah, sure. <laughs> you can't express it that way. So you express you express it basically through work, right? And and there's and and this is something that both the captain of industry does it, but also it comes from the slave, right? The slave found meaning in, in their work and in their craft, even though they may be a slave, right? So both so work is very important uh, uh, to underline the meaning. What, whatever meaning, what little meaning liberalism has uh, in itself. And we're entering a world, potentially, I'm not quite sure I buy it, but we're entering a world of automation and UBI. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so in that world, what happens uh, to liberalism? Anyhow, just, you know, discuss. I, I have no idea. It's just a, a thought. 
<laughs> yeah, that's that's a good point. Um, yeah, and, and he, so in the not the preface, the uh, so this is why we need World War Three. Go ahead. Yeah, okay. <laughs> sure, Jerry. Uh, what is it called? Oh, the afterword, the opposite yeah. of a preface. Yeah. So um, I have the version that was published like later that has an afterword. And he, yeah. he, he talks about, I think this was written down in like the mid 2000s. So like mm -hmm. kind of in the midst of, I'll just call it Bush two. Right. And um, it's very cute, right? Because he's talking about the, the threats to to kind of global the threats to the end of history right and why they're not necessarily threats and one of them is like global islam or like right islamo fascism yeah. for lack of a better word and that was that was that was that was a trip remember that <laughs> so i have whatever most recent version is that has an afterward to the afterward oh really okay and he's he's like yeah islamic stuff yeah that, whatever like that was we, we were really we we got caught up in that didn't we? yeah sorry about that whole uh <laughs> everything uh but i think he makes he he's not like a uh alarmist about it i don't think i think he no. even says like this is incredibly limited right and it's not really even about islam it's about modernity like these yeah. are not like al-qaeda and the muslim brotherhood are like not fundamentalists they're like incredibly modern or yeah they're like modern phenomena um they're more fascist they're very, than anything i guess yeah exactly um <clears throat> But the very last section, I think, like the very last problem or challenge, um, I think was technology, right? That, um, let me see. We'll edit all of this out. Yeah, yeah. So the final objection of the end of history hypothesis, which has been made in a variety of forms, concerns technology and the possibility that the historical process that is driven by technological advance will ultimately be consumed by it, right? And so right. most of this is like global warming is going to melt all right. of us. But um, I think, and I'm sorry, I don't remember if I took a note on it. He talks about, um, uh, I mean, I, you can call it like the singularity or like biotechnology. Right. Like, you know, we could, and maybe this is actually in the book itself and not in the afterward. I apologize. Um, is that, you know, oh, no, it is in the afterward, like, our ability to manipulate ourselves biologically, right? Because once you start being able to do that, um, you know, the whole book is kind of based on the nature of man and right. like historicism kind of Depends creating that, yeah. what, what man is like, it, it's, it's, it's like very anthropological, I guess, <laughs> if you call made up German philosophy, <laughs> anthropology. Um, but, you know, if you're able to change human beings you know, in a way that you've never been before. This is not like, this is not, you know, getting glasses or dental surgery or chemotherapy. This is like creating people with tails or, or whatever. Um, then that is, it's, it's the singularity and it could completely change like human nature to the point where if we're not like the same species anymore, we may not value the same things. Uh, we may not come to the same agreements anymore. Um, it could very easily turn back to like a master and slave um, situation because, you know, rich, powerful people, I don't know, become nine feet tall and impervious to uh, <laughs> to bullets or something. Um, Elysium. So, I've never Elysium, seen that movie. It's terrible, actually. I hear it's, that's why I've never seen it because everybody yeah. has told me it's terrible. Yeah. And it's terrible for very like predictable reasons. Re oh. Well, it's predictable, but it's 
it's so predictable that you thought people would notice and not do it, <laughs> but they did it anyway. <laughs> uh, I blame Matt Damon uh, okay. for it. Yeah, Elysium or whatever, right? Um, so I think that's that's interesting. Like, uh, if you were to redo this book now, I wonder, um, like, what the dangers would be. Obviously, it would be like Putin, China, wokeism, and probably um, like Matrix. CRISPR. And, or, yeah, the Matrix or... yeah. Yeah, the combination of like virtual reality and the ability to like alter our our genome and create like designer mutant babies or whatever. Yeah, designer so. mutant babies put the rest <laughs> of society into pods where people yep. eat bugs and while they're strapped into the metaverse. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like Wally with Chinese characters. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, you know, and I think that kind of goes to what you were saying. I know we got to wrap it up, but like yeah. maybe that is that yeah. that is the um, the end result that <laughs> like we become so rich and powerful and wealthy that like nobody can have a job anymore and there's no way for them to express their time else because right. you can't duel you can't you can't like show your prowess as a maybe you can still be a titan of industry but that's like 12 people um you can't you know do anything um to show off so what are you left with um and it probably would might create like a lot of social unrest. So your favorite solution, locking people up in matrix pods. You don't have to lock them up. They will go willingly. Sure, sure. Willingly. Uh, <laughs> you know, shoot the chicken to scare the monkeys, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, or, you know, more realistically, VR headsets with like a tube down your throat and another one out your butt. Uh, <laughs> To be so, clear, yeah. this is just to be clear. Uh, this is not my preferred solution. It's just a solution that I'm sure. identifying wink, as not wink, unlikely. Wink. Uh, yeah, yeah. You're like you're like John Mearsheimer. Like invading right. Ukraine is not your preferred solution, but you're just saying it's going to happen. Wink, wink. <laughs> I'm not saying it should be a buffer state. Um, okay, so clearly we both. Uh, recommend this book. We mm -hmm. we had a lot to say about it. Uh, and we've skipped like a lot higher sections. Um, yeah. yeah. Can I say that the one thing that we've surprisingly skipped or not discussed or not brought up is the subject of our next book, oh. uh, which which um, it's uh, just to be clear or uh, people might find interesting. We each chose these books. Uh, at the same time without knowing that the other was picking these books. So you chose this book and my next pick, which we'll do next time, is Beyond Good and Evil by Friedrich Hayek. <laughs> Friedrich Hayek? Did I just literally say that? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Friedrich yep. Nietzsche. Uh -huh. Ludwig oh von Nietzsche. <laughs> Woo, that was, well, I don't know what that was. I guess uh -huh. I'm so used to saying Hayek after I say Friedrich. Uh-huh. Uh, so, um, so yeah, um, I think you know Frank says that Nietzsche would say that basically once we stopped having aristocracy and nobility, uh, and we cucked out, I think Nietzsche would say, yeah. um, we stopped having <laughs> any any kind of um, real artistic or I don't know what you would say, like human creation, like ba basically all aesthetic or you know they're, they're no more michelangelo's or whatever yeah no more great no more uh no more great uber, uber right yep yep yep, yeah. yep. 
yeah and this is something we i don't know we skipped or forgot about like the right-wing critique of this is yes. like the, the nietzschean critique the nietzschean that, critique. um everyone like the slave mentality is actually bad yeah and uh you all become what like he this is not a nietzsche term right men without chests kind of like little cucked out soy boys right um just uh pecking away your keyboard for the pellet <laughs> <laughs> present company included i'll include myself and um like that's like that's a terrible terrible uh fate and right. um we should not do that and we should have hitler instead i think that was Nietzsche's <laughs> argument. i'm pretty sure <laughs> all right well yeah. so um anything else you want to uh, add to the mix uh, no, I mean, um, I think you're going to see a lot of Fukuyama, um, you know, he's yep. still alive, still around, <clears throat> very anti-Putin, which is understandable, um, like has his own new magazine and oh, you know, yeah, still, is still rallying for the, uh, the liberal cause um, in the international sphere. I realize this is probably a long one, but should we briefly talk about, because I think it's kind of interesting, talk about how this all applies to our current situations with the uh, camel fuckers in in Moscow, in, in Moscow, in Donbass, in Donbass, Hardbass, yeah. Donbass. What are they? Are they turnips, cabbage, borscht fuckers? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So he kind of predicts this, right? So I mean, and I'm I completely uh, believe that Putin is in large part motivated by uh, a perceived and probably very real um uh, lack of recognition right or or in any event uh, uh, he's he's motivated by a uh pursuit of recognition yeah and i mean so one this is um i, I mean people people say this as like a knock against him that he's irrational right like you should just um, yeah. um you know just sit down, shut up, trade, become rich and become normal. Like the rest of us. Um, why are you doing this? This is crazy. This is like barbaric, right? So this is like a critique against Putin himself. Um, which, which are all truth, which is all true. If you're only looking through the lens of reason, right? Reason and desire right? and desire. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 If all you want to do is maximize, um, GDP, GDP. Yeah. and, um, well, yeah. Um, yeah. So if you're a good 21st century man, as John Mearsheimer would say, like it's all inexplicable. Um, you know, if you work for a DC think tank that's funded by the Saudis or something like this doesn't make any <laughs> sense to you. Uh, anyway, um, but also people have this, uh, my dad has this uh, take on, on the Russian people with their immense souls, right? Like they have a, a and chip to be on their shoulder. To be clear, your dad is Russian. My dad is Jewish. Jewish. He hates Russians, uh, <laughs> despite any protestations, right? Um, like a Although lot he, of, he, he and all of his ancestors were born in Russia, but go on. Uh, Poland and Belarus, right? Uh, okay, it's, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. The point is, They're, I'm, tr I'm trying to situate them. Soviet, Soviet Jewry, right? Okay. Um, and like a lot of um, people that left the Soviet Union, um, they uh, despise not just the Soviet Union, but I think a lot of them just despise Russia for understandable reasons for some people uh, for sucking up to Western audiences for uh, a lot of people on Twitter, if you ask me. But um, the, the, like the, the knock on Russians as a people is you're just obsessed with um, esteem, with glory, with thinking that you're better than other people, that like in, in 
this particular case that you like saved Europe from the Nazis and you won't just shut up about it or deal <laughs> with it or like move on, move on. Or, yeah. Or just recognize that it wasn't like so simple that it, you know, like Stalinism had problems and you were allied to, to Hitler and a bunch of other stuff, right? Just the complicated, messy part of, of history that Americans like to apply to everyone except themselves. <laughs> so, um, so it's interesting that like in this moment now you have it applied to a person, uh, Putler, um, which probably, I mean, who knows, but it, I'm sure it's accurate. Like he is like when they cut his brain open um, after Moscow is sacked by Zelensky, like, I wonder what they're going to like figure out about that guy. Cause to me, he's just such a black box. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if we need to read his biography. Um, but you know, like the fact that it, it, it is also applied to like whole peoples and nations, mm -hmm. right. That like there is at least from some people's point of view, these weird hangovers, not hangovers, but um. <sighs> What was the term people use in Iraq? Like the regime members who wouldn't surrender? Dead enders? Dead enders, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like all of Russia is just a dead ender from like the 19th century or even like the early 20th century. Like just buy McDonald's and Apple's and Apple iPhones and just join us in this beautiful right. like international liberal commonwealth. And if you don't, we're going to like turn you into an involuntary North Korea. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, um, it's just it's interesting that like this it's still this struggle is kind of going on and like i don't see a system if you can even call it a system in russia like conquering liberalism because as fukuyama points out like these kind of right-wingish strongmen it's reactionary like, it, it's not even like reaction yeah it is reactionary but like their so-called strength right. just masks like a total absence of any ideology or idea or um, legitimacy. Mm -hmm. Like their only legitimacy was like, we stopped when we had the coup, we stopped whatever crazy shit was happening. Um, but eventually, you know, because you're like an army officer or a KGB spook, like what the hell do you know about like running a country? Um, the, the contradictions kick in and it's like, people realize like, well, you kind of fix things, but they're, they're not really getting any better or you've launched a crazy unsuccessful war <laughs> and lost. Um, and, you know, that's not, that's not, uh, Fukuyama would say, I don't know actually what he says about this war. I, I think he wrote something about how like Ukraine has to win to well, save liberalism. So this, this is the second piece, but, but, but go on. Yeah. Like to me, like, like Putin represents no challenge at all to liberalism because right. it's like, there's nothing there. Like right. he saved so-called saved Russia from like the nineties, which was a, a fucking crater as a train wreck. And the economy grew until like the last two months <laughs> to a, you know, a relatively comfortable level for a lot of people, but like, there's no there there. Right. You're either going to rule it through fear and oppression, which just won't work because there's nothing backing it up. You are just like Saddam Hussein <laughs> at that point. Um, or, you know, you have to let people be a little bit free. And if you do that, eventually the system falls apart. Right. Um, anyway. So, so yeah, so that's one piece is that Frank totally predicted this uh, in a way. Uh, well, I mean, so Frank predicted it generally. We all know the great Zeihan predicted it specifically. <laughs> <clears throat> um, but the other thing is, so Fukuyama 
today, I mean, he's got several pieces at this point and over the last few weeks where what I interpret him <laughs> to be saying is he's, he's pretty excited uh, about this um, because maybe we can get the band back together. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and <clears throat> I think a lot of people are, including the Grey are seeing the current moment as, you know, the culmination of what we've been predicting for some time, which is the end of globalization and the beginning of deglobalization, right? So, the, you know, uh, in a period of Cold War with base, essentially a Chinese bloc and an American bloc, and we'll see if there's a Turkish bloc or, uh, a, you know, whatever else bloc or European or French bloc or whatever. But uh, Fukuyama, I, I think, recognizes that as a possibility, but he he's putting out there the possibility that nobody's talking about, which is this could be the thing that allows us to really leapfrog into that Bob Wright non-zero UN world, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So, the new the new world order that Uncle Joe the, promised us. The new new world order, yeah. The new new, yeah. We'll call it neo world order. For, yeah, yeah. Because uh, yeah. it sounds cooler. Yeah, and, and it's funny that anyhow we should really stop recording uh <laughs> but yeah it, it's super funny that uncle joe just uh keeps reading the uh stage directions um <laughs> yeah so. well yeah well dementia will do that to you right? <laughs> all right well so um i guess that's it we enjoyed it totally recommend it totally yeah. totally uh, a book that is worth reading in the present moment. I agree. All right. All right, Stanley. <laughs> All right, Jerry. See you next time. Okay. Bye.